My name is Keith Beavers, and aren't we all deep down inside, no matter how old you are, a Steely Dan fan? What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 23 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast Season 2. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of Vine Pair, and yeah, how you doing? This is this is this is sulfites, wine lovers. This is sulfites. We gotta clear the air with sulfites. Are you ready? Sit down, got this? Let's get some science going. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine and spirits. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini and Napa, we want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? Follow the link in each episode description to purchase featured wines or browse our full portfolio at BarrelRoom.com. Cheers and all the best. When you have a glass of wine in your hand and you haven't even smelled it yet, you haven't even tasted it yet, you are, you know, it's an, it's an, you're anticipating it. You're, it's, an, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm about to enjoy a glass of wine. Because you know that when you put your nose in that glass you're going to get a bunch of information that you will interpret as certain aromas that you may have experienced in your life. If you haven't or you, you can't find it, someone will tell you something. Like, oh, yeah, 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 I, I do get blueberries. But what you're expecting is a journey in through this glass, through this bottle. And there are certain grapes, certain blends that have certain characteristics in the aroma profiles that are standard. Cabernet Sauvignon has a certain standard profile. Nebbiolo has a certain standard profile. So when you're smelling a Cabernet Sauvignon or even a Cabernet Sauvignon blended with Merlot, or if you're you're a Barbera, what is it? it doesn't matter, or a Chardonnay, you're anticipating the aromas that are often associated with that wine. And then you're anticipating the additional layers of aromas that are brought about by the winemaking process. And the initial aromas that you smell usually are called precursors, which are just the inherent aromas that are inside the grape that come out through the fermentation process and aging. Then there are the aromas that come from oak or from stainless steel, which is not really a thing, or concrete, which is kind of another weird thing. But blending and all these things, there are other aging aromas will develop and develop. A wine will get more delicate or you have a young wine that's not meant to age. And still with that, you are anticipating something. You know that a red blend is going to smell like all the berries in vanilla and it's going to be soft and it's going to be, but it's going to be pleasant. You know, you're about to experience that pleasant stuff. This, this experience with wine is only possible because of nature's ability to combat elements 
in nature that can compromise that experience. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about some of those things that can compromise your wine experience. But today, I want to talk about the thing that can protect the wine from some of these things that nature wants to throw at it. That thing is called sulfur, a natural element that takes up 0.5% of the weight of the Earth's crust. As an element or elemental sulfur, I mean, you can go on Amazon and just type elemental sulfur and you can buy sulfur from Amazon. It's a kind of a yellowish, pale yellow, brittle, solid substance. And when it's burned in air, it creates a gas called sulfur dioxide, otherwise known as SO2. And it's in this form as a chemical compound that is most widely used by winemakers. It is one of the most important elements of winemaking besides the actual grapes and the fermentation process. Sulfur dioxide has been used since antiquity to preserve wine and food storage. From ancient Sanskrit speakers, where it was called sulver, to the Bible and the book of Genesis, where they call sulfur brimstone, to the 15th century, where German winemakers would burn wood shavings, sulfur, and herbs inside barrels to prepare them to put the wine in, to the 18th century, when some of the most prestigious Bordeaux chateaux learned from the Dutch would do the same thing to their barrels. And today, SO2, sulfur dioxide, sulfur, is used in pretty much all winemaking. It makes sense because of its protective qualities. And to understand this wine protector and what it does for wine is that it, ha- it does two main things for wine. Number one, it's a minor antimicrobial agent. That sounds pretty cool, right? And number two, it helps to prevent oxidation. It helps to prevent browning agents from browning a wine. Now, in the vineyard, remember how I said it takes up some of the earth's crust? Well, naturally, there is sulfur in vineyards, and often there's enough in the soil mix to help prevent whatever's happening out in the vineyard. But there are certain funguses, like powdery mildew, which is a very tough fungus to get rid of. The wineries will sometimes spray sulfur on their vineyards to make sure that powdery mildew does not infect their their vines. Remember in like the first couple episodes of the first season, I talked about the challenges that a winemaker has out in the vineyards and how nature is just kind of out there and you have to come, you have to just kind of navigate it. The same thing happens when wine comes into the winery. Once you crush grapes and start the wine process, that grape juice is vulnerable to all kinds of bacteria and oxygen ready to just, just destroy it. Or not destroy it, but break it down into something else. It's nature. This is a bit general, but if you were to take an apple, slice it open, and just leave it on the counter, and then come back in an hour or so, you'll notice that oxygen has been soaking into the apple, and the apple is browning. That is nature oxidizing and breaking down matter. And if you taste that apple, you'll notice that it's just not as sweet as you expect because the browning agents are starting to take hold and reducing the apple. If you were to shock that apple with SO2, that would protect the 
apple from browning. So if you ever had dry fruit, dry fruit is shocked with a ton of sulfur or SO2, a ton, so much more than a wine ever gets. In your typical glass of wine, there's about 0.005 to 0.010 grams of sulfites in your glass. In dried fruit, there's 10 to 20 times that amount. In wine, we're just trying to prevent a couple things from happening. But in food, they're trying to saturate the whole thing. So this is what happens. I find this exceptionally fascinating. I love this stuff. I think science and nature and chemicals are just so amazing. And when we understand it and we can harness it, it's even better. So what happens here is when they shock the must with SO2, two things are going to happen. Number one, during the fermentation process, the SO2 is going to soak, for lack of a better word, into the grape juice and it's going to bind itself with some of the constituents in the grape juice, like sugar and pigment. And what that does is it maintains the color and maintains that sugar content. Once the SO2 has saturated as much as it can into the must, there is often still SO2 available that has not binded or, yeah, binded <laughs> to the wine. So, the, the SO2 that has soaked in and did that work is called bound SO2 because it binded itself with constituents in the wine. The SO2 left over from that is called free SO2. And that sulfur dioxide, free SO2 or free sulfur dioxide, is the sulfur dioxide that does the work of rendering browning agents impotent not allowing the wine to break down so we can enjoy the things that the wine and the winemakers want us to enjoy. So with all that work being done, there's going to be some residual sulfites in the resulting wine. And there is a very, very small percentage of the population of humans out there that have a problem metabolizing these sulfites. And, in, and because of that, they can have an allergic reaction. There's, it's very rare, but it is. it happened enough that the TTB, who regulates alcohol in our country, regulated that wine labels need to say somewhere contains sulfites as a warning. And that term, contains sulfites, is the total of the bound and free sulfites together. It's called the total sulfites. How your brain's doing? A little little sciencey right now. It's it's a lot, but the thing is, these are things that winemakers have to talk about. And what's really interesting about this whole SO2 edition and stuff is it's going to happen to every wine. It just depends on how much they want to add, and it's really a case by case basis. All winemakers are trying to do is make good wine, and they know that SO2 will protect the wine. They know that if they put if they don't add enough something bad is going to happen. And if they don't add, if they add too much, something bad is going to happen. And if they do that, something may or may not happen, may or may not happen on those ends of the spectrum, but there's a really good chance that it could. Right in the middle, there's a really good chance that the wine will be sound. And it kind of makes sense. Now that you think about it, 
if you don't add enough SO2, more of it is going to bind than be free, or maybe there's not even enough to bind and be free, and you're letting things in like browning agents and spoilage yeasts and stuff like that, and what's going to happen is that stuff is going to take over the wine. This sort of extreme no addition stuff is what people are calling natural wine um, or low intervention. I'm not going to talk about those terms because they have no definition. They're not really even real. So I, I can't educate you on things that, I, that, that have no definition. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next episode. If you add too much SO2, you're protecting, you're kind of overprotecting the wine. So when a wine is opened and you pour it in the glass and it wants to breathe and it needs oxygen to open up, isn't that crazy how oxygen is like the enemy and the friend of wine? Because when once wine is poured into a glass, you want oxygen to start opening it up and do the work of, you know, all the aromas and stuff coming out. And if you overshock with SO2, the oxygen can't do enough work and it kind of makes the wine a little bit flabby. I was talking to Scott Cozell, who I, who I interviewed for the Enology episode. And he told me this is really the only tool in the toolbox winemakers have to stem off oxidation. So, and what's cool is it's a, it's a natural element. So it's not like any sort of manufactured thing. Little side note, Scott Cozell wrote his thesis on sulfites when he was in school. And because of that, we had another mind blowing conversation that confirmed a lot of the research that I did for this episode. And he said something, some interesting stuff. One thing was that winemakers are more uh, concerned about free SO2 than they are about bound SO2 because the free SO2 is what does the work of really, you know, those brownie agents are a big deal. We don't want those, they, we, I don't make wine. They don't want those to kind of take over. And then I asked him, so what is it about the sulfur in nature or the, or the residual sulfur that is used to spread in the vineyard? Does that make it into the winery? And then how does that work? And what's interesting is he said the sulfur that comes in from the winery, often it gets converted into what's called hydrogen sulfide. Sulfide with a D, not with a T. And this is the form of sulfur that smells like rotten eggs. Actually, elemental sulfur, the pale, yellow, powdery, rocky stuff, also smells like rotten eggs. But hydrogen sulfide, when fully converted, you know, it really has a stank on it. And if a winery isn't practicing good hygiene, then that stink will sometimes make it into the wine. That's why sometimes when you open a wine, it stinks a little bit. It'll just blow, just let it blow off because it's just residual hydrogen sulfide from the winemaking process and it was a little dirty. He also said, and this is fascinating, in the early days of canned wine, it showed that sulfur, SO2, has a reaction to aluminum, which, pr which produces hydrogen sulfide. And so when, back in the day, early days of canned wine, if you were to open a canned wine, like, oh my gosh, that, that smells, ooh, that's, that's rotten. It would blow off. But that's basically what was going on. And nowadays... Everyone's kind of, he said that the industry is catching up with that and they're making more sound wine in cans by limiting the amount of sulfites in the cans so that doesn't have enough of a reaction with the aluminum. So interestingly enough, <laughs> uh, canned wine is low sulfite wine. Whoa. Not only that, but if a winemaker has a lineup of wines, they usually bottle and then they want to add a line of cans to their brand. 
they really have to make two different wines. That's crazy. So there you have it. A nice general rundown of the sulfite thing. I wanted this to be an episode because there was a time in the industry where the idea of sulfites was a hotly debated subject with with allergies and stuff like that. Now sulfites are in a new realm of debate about additions, whether to, whether to even add any. So I just wanted you guys to know the science behind it so you can make your own decisions based on what people tell you about sulfites. This is the hard science facts of what this will do. You may have heard or may be in the middle of a debate about the whole sulfite thing with somebody, but just know that it's the decisions that people make that define the, the resulting wine. Science is there. Nature is there. It's going to do whatever it does. We have... We, again, I don't make wine. Winemakers have tools they use naturally that help a wine become something wonderful. And SO2 is one of the most important things they have to protect wine. But it comes down to whether the winemaker, what the winemaker cares about and what they want. If they want nature to run rampant or if they want to have control over it or if they want to overdo it. Hey, wine's a, it's a big world out there of wine. There's all, all those three things happen. So this is what sulfites do for wine. And I know I mentioned some things in this episode that you may not recognize, but just know that in the next episode, when we talk about wine flaws, I'll go into a little more detail about this. I might, I'll mention sulfites again, but we're going to talk about what slips through the cracks when SO2 is not there to protect the wine and things can get iffy. We'll talk next week. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine experience. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with Lamarca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini in Napa. We want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? Follow the link in each episode description to purchase featured wines or browse our full portfolio at BarrelRoom.com. Cheers and all the best.